Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen continues her four-interview eight-part series on family therapy and attachment theory with part one of her conversation with Daphna Lender about integrative attachment family therapy. Part two will be released on October 25th. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chadock for another episode. We are in a series right now, which is called Family Therapy and Attachment Theory. And our guest today that I'm going to speak to is a dear friend and colleague. She has been on the podcast before. Her name is Daphna Lender. And Daphna and I originally met through our mutual work being TheraPlay trainers and TheraPlay supervisors. So we've had the opportunity to train and do different kinds of workshops around the world and online and i'm always so happy to be able to work with her she brings an incredible amount of experience and wisdom to the work that she does she's also a trainer in ddp dyadic developmental psychotherapy the model developed by dan hughes and she more recently has been um, combining theraplay and ddp and some other models into a training that she offers called integrative attachment therapy. So I'm going to be looking forward to talking with her about that model in our podcast. So please stay tuned. She will be coming right up. Hey, Daphna, I'm so happy to have you here today for the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. It is my distinct honor to be with you. All right. Well, uh, this, as you know, uh, this is part of our ongoing series on family therapy and attachment theory. And one of the quotes I'm basing this on, or one of the ideas, is that some people say that John Bowlby was one of the first family therapists. So um, I'm eager to talk with you about your work and how it's been evolving over the years and the different things that you've been doing. So why don't you share with listeners a little bit of your background and how you find yourself where you are at now? Okay. Well, I worked in foster care and worked with really difficult kids in therapeutic foster care and felt helpless because the kids were behaving in really bizarre ways. One kid, I remember, cut the drapes in the house of this really beautiful um, house. <laughs> it was the pride and joy of the foster mom. Um, another kid pooped in the corner. And so it was, it was so frustrating for me as a, a, a social worker that I just sought out attachment-focused therapies that were really practical. And I found TheraPlay and I found dyadic developmental psychotherapy. And um, it was the beginning of just this really, just uh, a really rich career of working with families. And 
It, I started working with foster and adopted kids and worked at the Therapy Institute for 16 years. And, and, but all along, you know, the idea of just the primacy of working with the family of the people of the parent and child together. And, and that translates to any family. It doesn't have to be a child who has attachment issues or was exposed to abuse and neglect. And so here I am, I gathered a bunch of other, you know, tools in my toolbox since then and integrated it and work with families now and who aren't necessarily um, adopted or have foster care or abuse or neglect in their background. And it's kind of like my mission to um, work with, I I think my current mission is to work with adults to show them that by changing their behavior with their child, they're healing themselves as the as their child, their their inner child. And uh, my sort of, I guess, I don't know if it's a moral or a uh, political agenda is to make more adult individual um, therapists bring their client's child into the room metaphorically. Yeah. So that's kind of like on. I think we should have an agenda as therapists to talk about children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I love that, and and so mirrors my experience of you know starting. I was I had been doing therapy a year when I started seeing kids in treatment foster care, and I felt like I didn't even know what hit me. I was like, what in the world is like happening? <laughs> what should I be doing? And um found their play also and it was like a life preserver so i think that even over the years in theraplay we begin to talk much more about the even though theraplay was meant to be done with parents and children together i think we've over the years theraplay has evolved to think much more about the parents own history um and do you have any thoughts about that and how that comes into play with your current thinking the parent piece is probably maybe twice as important in terms of ratio of working with the child versus work the child and parent together. And so I think that needs to be really changed and skewed to be like every other session is a parent session only or something like that. So, I mean, the ratio of the emphasis of work to me has got to be change. So yes, I'm going in that direction, but even more so. Yes. Which is really kind of scary because parents uh, don't bring their child to therapy thinking that they're going to be the, um, you know, center of attention and the object of like analysis. And so for a young therapist or any therapist, it's really challenging to, to put it right out there and say, this is what like, I'm sorry to tell you the truth, but actually this is going to be about you. And then there's this juncture, you know, there's a, a fork in the road and the parent has to choose. Am I going to go forward with this? Maybe with trepidation, I'll try it, you know, that maybe do a piece of work. Some parents will say, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really been my, my direction is to put it all out there at the beginning in terms of the amount of focus on the parent and that the ratio will be like two to one parent only. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know that you have said when you're seeing 
parents individually, you're seeing them specifically around parenting issues. Is that is that a good way to say your area of expertise and what you're doing? Um, or would you refine that or correct that? Yeah, it's all in the service of healing, like the parent-child relationship and making their child's life better. So um, the, it's not like I wouldn't talk to them about work or about their spousal relationship or something, but I like to kind of have a set agenda because otherwise it just turns into endless, you know, indefinite therapy about any many, many, you know, topics. And I kind of like to be focused in therapy. I like having an agenda and I like having perhaps, you know, objectives or an endpoint to do Mm -hmm. like a piece of work. And the, this is what, and to say like, this is what I'm offering. I'm offering to focus. I could, we could focus on so many things, the question that I'd like to focus on this intergenerational piece um, because I like we all of our lives are are short, and so we have to kind of pick what we're going to do, what we want to focus on. Yes, you know? yeah, yes, yes. And so, in thinking about you know your experience with TheraPlay and DDP, and I know you're bringing in other tools besides those, but just for this Mm -hmm. moment, what Mm -hmm. are some of the the important, crucial pieces that you felt that you got from those two models um, in terms of, you know, you deciding how you want to work? Oh, okay. Well, just like you, TheraPlay forms the foundation of my entire brain. Like if you open it up, it's divided into structure, engagement, nurture, and challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Although the structure piece is still like, still like very undeveloped and, you know, (laughs) not atrophied, but it still needs a long way to go. Um, But okay. So the physiologic piece of TheraPlay and that is true attachment to me. Okay. So when you hold a baby and you rock them in a good way and you attend to their body in a good way and you hum and you rock and you sing and you sway and you feed and all the things that Andrenberg and Phyllis Booth taught us. Yes. And then you just take that to bring, you know, for an older, the, to adapt it to a child's developmental and, and chronologic age. That's where it's at. That's attachment to me. And so if you, as long if you don't put the the physiology first, then that's not attachment based therapy. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. therapy is everything to me in terms of like the the touch, the eye contact, the tone of voice, and um, resonating with the child's um, nervous system and respecting their nervous system. And this is where I um, there's no doubt that polyvagal theory has vastly deepened my understanding of that. And so that, and also, yeah. So I was going to say also somatic experiencing Peter Levine. Um, so those, that's where TheraPlay brings me to, if I, if let's say I have a kid in the room and their face is blank because their parent lectured them before they come into the, they came into the room. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't do anything until mm-hmm. we do, until we, until we get the body moving and trying to get that, um, kind of like shake off that frame of mind um, or, or that bodily state that they're in because they feel frozen because they've been lectured. And I might have to address it with the parent and find out what happened and say, oh gosh, you know, I'm really sorry. 
that that happened. Let's see if we can shift and and make you feel better. But it might mean literally I have to go to my kitchen and make them a cup of cocoa and get them a blanket and stuff like that. And that's usually not done in like typical therapy. So that's their play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, I, I'm wanting to highlight this part where you said that as long as they're in that frozen state, you can't do anything. And I think that that can be the downfall of trying to work with that just in a, in a talk therapy kind of way. Like I, I supervise a lot of therapists who are like, well, they won't talk or, you know, they, and and they're, they're they're shut down or they won't cooperate or they, and that's one of the things that I've always loved about TheraPlay is that we can just gently, I don't know, toss them a ball, see if they catch it. There, there are some things like that that are reflexive and almost irresistible um, that can like shift that more than like 50 minutes of trying to like get through this session and get someone to say something. hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's really respecting the person's nervous system and physiology and honoring where they're at, which is what people want. Mm -hmm. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. see me see my body you know so um yeah that's therapy yeah and then you asked about you know ddp so uh it's really similar therapy and ddp the idea of okay there's a narrative underneath a person's behavior and they can't articulate it because it's not conscious or they're too ashamed or they're too dysregulated um or, you know, they've been discouraged to, of following their impulse and being able to say their truth. And so in the context of a parent-child relationship, it's really important for there to be a facilitator, which is the therapist, to be able to help the child articulate their truth, their motivation, their underlying feelings, thoughts, behaviors, you know, and for the parent to be able to be like the crucible and hold that and respect it and empathize and accept it, even though they might not agree with the child's behaviors and actions, because that dyad, the parent listening to their child deeply and helping to um, those underlying themes to emerge is what forms our identity, our what other that's how we find out like what do i want to do in life mm-hmm. what do i want to do while i'm sitting in this chair you know it it's from the very basic to the more you know macro and global like what do i want to do in my career or what or how do i choose a partner and um it's bizarre that like nobody teaches us how to listen to our kids mm-hmm. it is mind-blowing how what a huge deficit there is in terms of modeling how to accept and listen to your child and so the ddp model really offers i mean i think it offers a really nice structure for um, allowing that autobiographical narrative to emerge Um, and it's got to be there you know, we think of therapy as being very nonverbal and you don't really develop the themes. If a child says something, you accept it, but you don't necessarily develop it. And that's why DDP is so important. It's It's got to be in there as well. And so in a way, I divide my sessions into at least like one third, one third, one third play, and then GDP and then play, you know, 
or half and half or something like that. But there's always going to be a piece that's a narrative piece or um, like what's going on with you. What, what is, what is, what are you saying to yourself about yourself at this point in, in time as it relates to whatever Mm -hmm. that, you know, you kicked your mom on Wednesday or that you didn't go to school or that, um, that you had a big argument with your sister. What are you saying to yourself about yourself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still thinking about your comment about we're not taught how to listen to our child. Maybe we're not so hot at just listening, period. Even to grownups or partners or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And guess what? It's, we're not, we're not um, taught to listen to ourselves. And so it start to really start. That's where the parent work really comes in. When a parent is reactive to their child, what they're reacting to is what they're saying to themselves about themselves as a human. And then that obstructs, that obstructs our ability to see what's right in front of us, which is what our child needs. Right. Yeah. And so in a way they're, they're flooded with their own, emotional state in response to what the child is saying and it just kind of doesn't allow a a view of of what the child's actually trying to communicate so do do you um ever start therapy with a child without working with the parent individually first to at least some degree yes i do because if the child doesn't want the parent in the room because they are, this happens usually with preteens and teens. Okay. If they, they don't want their, the parent in the room because they are so distant and defended against their parent that it's, and, and combined with where they are in their life, in their development, in their developmental stage. Well, I can't work with this kid, if I'm going to insist that the parent and child be in the room together. So yeah, then I'll work with the child alone. But I do have an invitation that I explicitly say, which is, uh, you know, are you ready to bring your parent in at this time to help talk about X, Y, and Z? And then the, the child, you know, I had a kid just um, last month who said, you know, no, because I know that it's not going to work and I don't want to be exposed to it and take this on right before I'm going to college. Like I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I, of course I respect that. Um, it's just a kind of like a turning away period from your parents. And I, um, that ended that independence. So I respect that. Mm-hmm. And now in a case like that, would you be doing any individual work with the parent or not? You're just, you know, working with the, the preteen or, or adolescent. I mean, in that case, I did have a couple of occasions where I was able to do dyadic um, or with the parent, with both parents and the child. And um, at a crisis point, the parent asked for some insight a couple of times and with her, with her child's permission though, I, I, I worked with the mom, but only, um, you know, one or two sessions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you mentioned earlier that it's important to put out there from the get go, like how you work and 
what you intend to do. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more for listeners, like how you go about that? Sure. Well, I call it my manifesto. Um, I got frustrated about a parent who I worked with that didn't like what I was offering. And then I realized I didn't tell them what I was you know, offering to begin with. So this happened when I started my private practice after leaving um, the Therapy Institute, the, uh, this was already two and a half years ago in, and I realized I need to say what it is that I do. Right. And so, because I did it in sort of this, this declaration is what I represent as a therapist. And it said, I am a family therapist from an attachment perspective. This is what it means. It means that 50% of the contribution or interaction of your child's issues is your responsibility. I don't say that it's their fault or that, you know, it comes from intergenerational trauma. But what I say is that you're going to be an integral part. And I'm going to be asking you about your own attachment history and asking you to meet with me individually. And sometimes it will be at a frequency of either, you know, a ratio of one to one or even two to one. That's because of your, you're also the agent of change in your child's improvement or, you know, therapeutic progress. So that's really important for me to say. The other thing I say is that we are going to be looking at the underlying motives and it's going to be looking also at the physiology. And so I won't be um, prescribing behavior, you know, charts or or consequences and things. I'll give you advice at home for home um, issues, but in session, I'm not going to be talking about behaviors per se. And I'm going to be talking about what's the underlying motives And so that is really hard to swallow for parents. They say, okay, and then they bring their child in and say, let's talk about what you did wrong. And Mm -hmm. I will say, and this brings me to a um, piece that I do also articulate, which is that I am going to guide you in sessions. I say that so that I think that's also really surprising that parents are um, not expecting to be interrupted. I just want them to know that I'm going to interrupt them mm-hmm. and manage the um, the session. Mm-hmm. And I ask them, this is um, something that Dan Hughes taught me, the DDP founder, about explicitly saying there's going to be times where I'm going to need to interrupt you. I'd like to ask your permission to do that. How would you like me to do that? Do you want me to wave my hand? Do you know, do you want me to just tell you outright? Do you want me to make a joke of it? Do you want me to touch you, you know, on your on your leg or on your knee or something to indicate, hey, I gotta slow you down here. Time out, time out. Can we can we take a breath? Can we slow down here? Let's focus on one thing at a time. Or dad, can you please let's can you say an accepting statement first? And then an empathic statement after that, something like, oh, thanks for telling me. It seemed like that was really important and, and um, for you to you know, share your mind with me. Can you say something like that? So the first time that happens has to be in the first session. I don't want to wait. I feel real that it's really important to set the expectations and then actually like manifest them, show them that that's happening. 
And then, and parents are like, you know, they're, they're sometimes shocked by that and uncomfortable. So that that's why I like having a follow-up session right after the first dyadic session mm-hmm. with the parent only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's so much to unpack with what you just said. I'm eager to, to talk about all of that more. Listeners, please join us next week for part two of this interview that I am enjoying so much with Daphna Lender. She uh, will be back with us next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.